0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So for the next few weeks, we would like to uh, prepare our, our hearts for uh, Easter. And so today we're going to have a, uh, a message from the Gospel of Luke. Next Sunday, Pastor Gary will be sharing with us as we uh, celebrate Palm Sunday together. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we also are going to have a Good Friday service. So we'd like to invite you to uh, make plans to join us for that online as well. So uh, let's just think for the next few weeks that uh, we're going to be on the road to Jerusalem for the Passion Week and for the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that this is going to be an Easter that we're all going to remember. Somewhere down in the future, I'm sure we will say to each other, Oh boy, remember Easter 2020. Boy, that was different. And uh, But we made it through it. And we're going to make it through it. We're going to get through this. Uh, it's hard right now to even think about things being back to normal. But uh, it will happen. And uh, this will be a very memorable uh, Easter time and celebration with our friends and family. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, again, uh, our our desire is that your word would be heard and our hearts would be sensitive to your word, that your word would impact our lives as we walk with you, live with you, and share the wonderful grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask this in his name, amen. You know, one of the things that we all have is stature or height. And we use the terms uh, short, average, and tall. It's all pretty relative. I'm tall by by average standards—six um, foot four and a half plus or minus, depending on you know how uh, in my life. <laughs> okay, a little shorter than I used to be, and I've always been tall. I can always see over most people. But that's a relative thing. I remember as a young person, a teenager, going to a Husky basketball game at Heck Edmondson Pavilion, it was called then. And I got there really early to get a, to get a really good seat because it was a big game. And the UCLA team bus pulled up, the players got off, and out, out walked Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And he walked right by me. And all of a sudden, I felt short. And so I understand it's all, it's all relative. But whenever I go to a parade or an event where there's a crowd, I always stand toward the back. For example, if it's a parade and there's four or five deep, I always stand toward the back because I try to be conscious of the fact that I'm going to block somebody's view. And I can see over people. Whenever there's a group picture, I'm one of the ones in back. Well, in today's lesson from the book of Luke, on chapter 19, and this is the last, this chapter records the last events before Jesus comes to Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday. And it says Jesus, verse 1, entered Jericho and was passing through Jericho. Jericho, about 17 mile journey to Jerusalem. It's on the other side of the Judean hills, and it's the major route and transportation, trade route between The area of Jerusalem and Judea and the trade routes going uh, east and north and even south. It's a very, very important city. It was a very important uh, location. And, of course, it's where the Israelites, when they crossed the Jordan River, came first to the old city of Jericho, which was destroyed. And he was there, and he he was going to pass through it. And as he was doing so, in verse 2 it says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So Zacchaeus, and we used to have a song we, we uh, our kids would learn called, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Well, he wasn't a wee little man. He was just shorter than average. And because of that, he couldn't see over the crowd. And the crowds were in front of him. And I've always kind of imagined this story. because As the story goes on, we know that Zacchaeus also wasn't a very popular man because he was a chief tax collector, it tells us. He was a chief tax collector. A chief tax collector was the one who was sort of at the top of the pyramid of the tax collectors. And we know from Roman times that what seemed to be the, the, the tradition was, you owe the Roman government X amount of money and you collected taxes from people. Whatever you collected over that X amount, you could keep. And so there was a lot of taking advantage of people, uh, fraud and so forth. And he was over the other tax collectors, like Matthew, who was a tax collector at a booth. He was the chief tax collector. He was the head of the district. And so he had a very lucrative job. But he also wasn't very popular because he worked for the Romans, taking money, I believe he was Jewish, it's a Jewish name and one that was not uncommon, common and he was not popular. I can imagine as Zacchaeus tried to get to see Jesus, I can imagine as he does, people probably go like, he didn't want to see you Zacchaeus, get back, we're not letting you in, we don't, he, he doesn't want to see you. Zacchaeus couldn't see. And so what it tells us is that he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. The sycamore fig tree is one that has a sturdy trunk, low-hanging, sturdy branches, so he could quickly get up. And here's this picture of this shorter man in this tree, looking down as Jesus passes by. He really wanted to see Jesus. And that's a whole nother question. What was it that, why was he so desirous of seeing Jesus? Had he heard the stories about Jesus, for example, uh, in in Luke chapter five, we have the conversion of Matthew, the tax collector, and as Jesus walks by, um, and, and and says, Matthew, follow me, and then he goes to Matthew's Matthew Levi to his house, and of course he's he's criticized for being there with these sinners, and then in Luke chapter fifteen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus gives the story of the 99 sheep and the one that was lost. And he says at the end, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus has done this before. And maybe Zacchaeus has heard this, that this this rabbi, this teacher this this prophet, whatever he saw, thought of him, that he even, not only does he welcome tax collectors and sinners, he'll even eat with them and associate with them. He just wanted to see him. I don't know what his hopes were, but he just, he wanted to see him. And Jesus walked by, and of course, you probably know this story. Verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, he stopped, he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately, or as we we sang in the song, you come down. Come down, Zacchaeus. I must. Isn't interesting? It's a strong word. I must. Not a desire, or could you make it work? I must stay at your house today. This is, this is one of the last events before he comes to Jerusalem. That's recorded in the Gospels. I must stay at your house today. So, he, that is Zacchaeus, came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. And in verse seven it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter. And the word mutter is this word, it's a grumbling word. It's the word that's used to translate the Hebrew word in the Old Testament when the Israelites grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. And these people grumbled, they muttered, and they said, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It doesn't just say the Pharisees and scribes. And notice it says, all the people said this. And what's interesting about that to me is if you look in the previous chapter, the event just before this, on the way to Jericho, we have the story of blind Bartimaeus. And that's in chapter 18 and verses 35 to the end of the chapter. And in this case, you have the blind man calling out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people... Leading the way, trying to push him aside, saying, No, no, no no time for that. We're going to we're going to Jericho, we're heading to Jerusalem. And and yet and yet Jesus stops and says, What what do you want from me? And he says, Lord, I want to see, he replied. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, praising God. Now notice it says, when all the people saw it, they also praised God so you got this traveling troop of people who are following Jesus and traveling with him and it says all these people praised God and rejoiced then we come to this next event with Zacchaeus and instead of praising God and rejoicing it says all the all the people same phrase all the people saw this and they began to grumble and mutter why He's gone to the house of a sinner. Well, at least one person uh, knew about this firsthand, and that was Matthew Levi, who we mentioned in chapter 5. We have the account of Jesus coming by his tax booth. He also was an unpopular man and calling him to be one of the 12 disciples. And hence we have the gospel of Matthew. He certainly knew uh, what was going on here when, when Jesus did this. So Jesus goes to his house. To 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 have dinner, to be with him, to associate with this man who was a who was a sinner. I mean, this this man was probably the lowest of the of the if you were to if you were to gauge sinners by most people's minds, this was probably the lowest you could get to be taken advantage of your own people to, to support the Roman government. They hated the tax collectors, that's why it's you know we talk tax collectors and sinners. It's like They're the worst than everybody else. They sort of exemplify sinfulness. And Jesus goes to his house. I must, I must come to your house today, right now. I imagine the whole crowds came also and followed him and disbelieved that he went into this man's house. This man's friends and acquaintances, who would they be? They would be other tax collectors and sinners who... Who were, who were beyond hope. You know, they were really beyond. It's not that, it's not that Judaism didn't recognize everybody was a sinner. That's why the whole sacrificial system was in place. They understood that. But there were those who were outside the margins who, who were beyond hope really. And this was Zacchaeus and anybody who would associate with him. And there's Jesus right there with them. And Zacchaeus stood up and he stands up to make an announcement. He says, Lord, look. Look, Lord, here and now, in verse 8, I give half of my possessions to the poor. He was a very wealthy man. Half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor right now. This man had encountered Jesus and it changed his life. It changed his outlook. It changed his lifestyle. It changed everything about him. He says, half of everything I have, half of it, is going to the poor. And then he goes on to say this. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It is kind of interesting. I don't know. He says, if I have cheated. Some of the commentators say it's implicit in this. It's almost like since I have cheated. We'll have to leave it there. But if he has cheated anybody, which he probably had, he chooses, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to, Even by Mosaic law, I know, I have a note my Bible says that this was in the standards of restitution, but this, this standard of restitution was actually, if you look in Exodus 22 in the passage in Leviticus, you'll see that this standard was actually for those, like a cattle rustler, somebody who had stolen animals and killed them. There's no way of giving them back. They had to repay four times. And uh, that's about as severe as it gets. And, and he says, listen, I will pay back Four times anything I have stolen. He is, this man is giving up an extremely large amount of anything he has. And he's opened himself up, of course, to everybody to make a claim on him, who they think he has stolen from. But he's willing to do that. His life has been radically changed through Jesus Christ and his visit with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord said this, verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house, Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Abraham, as we know from uh, Romans uh, chapter 4, and we also know from Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, you look those passages up and you'll see that the Bible tells us in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that Abraham is the father of all who come by simple faith. Because when Abraham looked up in the stars, when God said, count the stars, that's how many descendants you will have. He had none. He didn't even have one. And he looked at it and he said, so be it in Hebrew. Amen. I agree. And God says, uh, because of that agreement, that faith, that simple faith in my word, I am declaring you as righteous. And he becomes a father of all who come by faith. You read that in Romans and Galatians. And this principle of simple faith. So somehow in this in this time frame with Jesus, Zacchaeus evidenced genuine faith in Christ as his Savior. There's a whole another study of what that means in this context. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's not believing in the resurrection and the shed blood. But we see this throughout the Gospels. Those who show genuine faith in God and their response to Christ and his word as the Son of God, it says your faith has made you whole. You are saved. And Jesus says... This man, too, is a genuine son of Abraham. Then it it says this, and this is what I want to draw our attention to today. Jesus says this, just before he goes to Jerusalem, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. When we think of the stories of the Gospels of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the early first chapter of Acts as well, as he's with his disciples, and we think of the, the message and the teaching, and but it comes down to back to this focal point. The Lord Jesus Christ said before he went to Jerusalem for the Passion Week, remember, the Son of Man came. The purpose in coming was to seek and to save what was lost. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was in that context of Israel and those Gentiles who came to him at different times that he interacted with, he came to seek and to save what was lost. And This man, Zacchaeus, this tax collector, becomes a true son of Abraham through simple faith because Jesus sought him out. He went to see him. He went to see him, but Jesus specifically sought him out and called him down, went to his house to seek and to save that which was lost. As we read earlier in chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ, in referring to these tax collectors and sinners, said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and believes the message that Christ gave them than the other 99 who don't think they need to repent. And so at the end of this story, there's rejoicing in heaven over Zacchaeus. It would be interesting to know the rest of the story. What happened to Zacchaeus? What was the rest of his life like? Uh, how, did he, how is he in that mix in Jerusalem as they were waiting for the kingdom of God to come after the resurrection? Um, it would be interesting to know uh, where he fit into all that, but that's all we're told about Zacchaeus. And you know, this got me thinking these past several weeks, as we've mentioned several times, and, and we all don't even need to say it, uh, we are living in such uh, turbulent, uh, difficult, different, changing uh, times right now. Who would have thought a month ago that going to the store and finding a bag of flour would be like you really scored something big here, right? I mean, everything is changed. And as we've mentioned as well, for many people right now, uh their very livelihoods and, and ability to to supply and provide what they need is 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 challenged and change. And we need to help one another. These are hard times. These are different times. These are also times of a forced Sabbath and rest. And we're all finding of uh, what it means to, to to not be able to watch sports and things that we're used to and go here and there and, and so forth, it's it's different times. And as a church, and not just us, but as Christian church, I think that it's it's true that our focus. I know my focus has been from the very beginning too. Is well, what are we going to do now uh, as a church family to make sure we we stay connected, that we fellowship, that we worship that we pray for one another, that we help one another, and indeed we should. And so we're using new ways for us, a new way, using uh, uh, taped uh, messages like this and services like this, Bible studies, devotionals. I hope you take time to check our webpage and the various things that we have available for you. I know lots of you are listening to a lot of different things. Teresa and I just listened this morning to a an, an amazing uh, uh Uh, ministry of It Is Well With My Soul with a multitude of singers who who sang together from different places, and, and it was presented. These are different times, and we've really, really been trying hard. But it occurred to me during these times, have we also given thought to, so if the Lord's main purpose in coming was to seek and to save that which was lost, have we also given attention to this? What are we doing during these times? For many of you, you no longer have those associations at work, school, other activities that you're involved with, where you have an opportunity to, to witness for Christ, to share God's love, how you treat them, how you love them, and be available to share the message and also to speak up and, and share the hope of the gospel. For many of you, that opportunity is gone. Some of you also are still working hard in health care and, and public services and retail and so forth and essential services. Everything's changed. And as a church, you know, so often the Christian church, we think in terms of, well, how are we going to get people to come to our church? How are we going to get people that don't know Christ to come to our church? And sometimes we even, you know, get to the point of doing things that are almost gimmicky sometimes. Church is doing it. Kind of, how we get people here? And uh, yes, there, we need to be creative. We need to be a place where where we are a lighthouse in this community. But the fact is, and I don't have any scientific research, but I just know from my own experience, and it's something I've heard all along, and I'm quite sure it's true, probably 75% and more of people who come to faith come through the ministry and witness of a friend, a relative, a family member. Most people come to Christ that way, not being converted in a church building. Praise the Lord for those who are, and especially for children and young people, that's often the case. But the majority of people come to Christ not here at church. And I got to thinking about that. What are we? What are we doing now? Are we being just as creative? Are we being just as concerned? Are we being just as active in how we share our faith, how we reach out in our community, how we continue to support God's work, and missions and ministries, that I want us to be careful that the focus during this time is just not on how can we minister to ourselves, but how can we also continue to do what the Lord Jesus Christ said. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Apostle Paul tells us as well in in, in 2 Corinthians, in, in his wonderful passages, that having to do with our ministry and his ministry. And he says this, well, in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of, minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says at the end of this chapter 5, in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I just want to say a word of encouragement today. I, I say this to myself first. Am I being just as concerned, just as creative? just as prayerful about how the gospel message continues to go out. How are our friends and neighbors, relatives, co-workers, fellow students, are we still connecting with them? Are we still letting them know we care about them? Are we still asking if there's anything we can do to help them? When we walk around our neighborhood, because we try to get out and walk every day, and, and that's okay, we're supposed to do that as long as we stay six feet apart, which we are We are good. I'm not so sure social distancing is the right term. I think it's physical distancing, but we still socialize. It's easy to talk to somebody six feet away, and it's amazing. I have seen more people, more neighbors, walking my neighborhood than I have ever seen. I mean, this is unbelievable. We just walked last night, and we just look at all the people out walking in our neighborhood the opportunities to, to get to know your neighbors better, to be friendly, to say a word, to to connect, to send a loaf of bread, like one of our neighbors did to us, and and, and, and to, to build those bridges, to be a part of your community, part of your neighborhood, and, and, and use this time through media, through your own presence in ways that are, that are respectful of what we've been asked to do, but are still things we can do, through phone calls, through notes, through prayer, that we don't just, the focus is just not on how are we going to maintain what we do here, but how are we also, in addition to that, going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the apostles, and we find in the, in the epistles, how are we going to continue to reach the lost with this beautiful message in these times when, when people's hearts might be especially open to think about things that are more important than the things that have consumed our lives, eternity about god about hope and about grace and the peace of god that is offered to us let's give some thought to that father we thank you for uh, this time and lord we pray that as we continue to uh, look into your word to search uh, our hearts as to what you have put in our hearts and how we can serve our community how we can serve our friends and neighbors and co-workers And Father, might we continue to be willing to be vessels to be used by you to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you that we have this opportunity. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Before our closing song, I just want to say, if you happen to be watching this and you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're looking. Maybe you want to see it. Maybe you've heard about this. Please. Call us, email us. The message is very simple. Jesus Christ came. He would live the life without sin. He went to the cross of Calvary as we're going to celebrate on Good Friday. He rose from the dead. He paid for our sins with his blood as a sacrifice for our sin. He rose from the dead and he offers eternal life and salvation and peace with God through those who will simply receive this through simple faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will give you the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to give you hope and, and and power to live through these times with confidence so indeed it will be well with your soul. So please, if you have any more questions about that, be sure to reach out. We would love to talk to you. God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us.